Welcome back, everyone, to the Still Untitled podcast, probably the Long Telegram. That's what we're calling it so far, where we talk about geopolitics and probably other stuff that interest us. We were supposed to talk about Abdifka and what's going on by Russia, but Ben over here had other ideas for us. Instead, talking about the prospect of the U.S. going to war with Iran. I'm sure he saw the Tucker Carlson video on X, as he's a, a massive fan. And so, I mean, let's just get started because we all have short timelines today. So, Ben, what's going on between Israel and Iran? Why do you want to talk about it? And at the end of that, what do you think the likelihood that the U.S. goes to war with Iran by the end of next year? Um, so who's going at the U.S. and Iran right now is essentially these uh, Iranian proxy groups, part of the axis of resistance, keep striking uh, U.S. bases. They've done it now 16 times in the past eight days, which is a lot. Um, we've had 24 U.S. service members injured, several of them having traumatic brain injuries, which is uh, like they have like a bomb protection bunker they go into. And when the bombs go off, it doesn't, you know, absolve you from the sound. So it echoes end up getting concussions from these um a concussion is downplaying it but it like traumatic like it's a traumatic brain injury right uh one died uh from a heart attack because they spooked him to death um but uh you know from there they continue the united states has forwarded warnings uh blinken went to the un to say uh stop or we're going to swiftly defend ourselves biden yesterday said that he issued a warning to the ayatollah to be prepared if he continues and then you had the marine corps uh top general saying uh, that if Iran continues, if U.S. forces are continue to be targeted, someone also raise their kids, um, which is really quite a big statement. And so, they're, you know, they're going back and forth here. The U.S. has yet to respond to Iran's acts of aggression on its forces. Uh, so much the U.S. is so worried about this that they've delayed the Israeli ground offensive until they can move more air support units into uh, the region. So... <clears throat> We're really looking at the prospect of war here, and not war in the sense of like a declaration of war with Iraq, uh, just war in the sense that Iran is going to be bombed, uh, or at least the very least is proxy forces. In addition, the U.S. says Iran will be held directly responsible for anything that happens with the proxy forces, which does open up the possibility for strikes on the Iranian military. And in addition to that, I mean, there is precedent for this. Uh, the U.S. drone strike Salmani. Back in 2019, back in 1983, the U.S. sunk Iran's navy, uh, half of it, overnight, um, in punishment for one of their mines hitting a U.S. Navy ship. So there is precedent for the U.S., um, you know, just arbitrarily attacking Iran for things Iran does to the U.S. in response. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Uh, but President Biden's comments yesterday were pretty enlightening because he said that this has nothing to do with Israel. That simply Iran taking advantage of it and that these actions aren't linked to Israel. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. I do think he's correct to a certain extent that Iran is taking advantage of the situation to continue launching rocket attacks at U.S. forces. Uh, and I think we'll have to wait and see. In terms of probability, and then you're saying next year, I think at the, the end, end of this of year, year, we see something happen. You know, I'm, 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 I, I'm no, just getting a little wiggle room. I think we see U.S. military action. If this persists, um, I think we see military action by the end of November. Uh, and, but what that looks like, I don't know. Um, it could be, I, it's, you know, it, I do believe these proxy forces will be struck. Uh, whether or not the Iranian military be struck, I don't know. But I know the Revolutionary Guard, probably fair game. So, 
What do you guys think on so, this? So two co- two comments, and then I actually have one more question for you. So you also had Lindsey Graham go on, I think, Meet the Press, who said that if Iranian forces or Hezbollah gets involved, uh, should Israel invade Gaza, which is looking, you know, quite likely at this point, that uh, we should sink their oil or strike their oil facilities and their ability to export oil. Um out of the region, which obviously will have massive ramifications on the Iranian economy, but also on the global economy. So thoughts on that. And then two other things. One is Metaculous, crowdsourced forecasting website. They have a market up there. Will the U.S. and Iran be primary actors on the opposite sides of war before 2025? Is it 11% likelihood? Um, So comments on that. And then the last one is, do you think we're closer to war with Iran than we were under Trump Uh, I think it was in early 2019, early 2020. Someone got my date right. Uh, When he gave that speech with with all the generals saying, Iran will never get a nuclear weapon in my lifetime. Good morning. That speech. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I think, so to work backwards here, we are further from war than we were under Trump. Um, People forget this, but we did drone strike Salmani, right? And then in response, they launched... I don't know, 26 uh, ballistic missiles at a U.S. base in response. And uh, thankfully, no U.S. service members were killed. But then during this, COVID's happening. And so COVID kind of kills this conflict altogether um, as Iran recedes and the United States recedes. So I do think for a brief few weeks there, we were closer. Um, I will tell what happens here, but... We shall see. As for striking their oil facilities, I don't think that's the route the Biden administration would take. I think the Biden administration would stick to attacking military targets. There's just nothing. How does the U.S. benefit from the price of oil going up? Right. Biden has an election coming up here in about a year. Um, So that is no interest to him. And as for the betting markets, I don't know. I'm not much of a gambler, um, so I couldn't tell you. All right, who wants to take and follow up on Ben's comments? Ezra? Especially because he gave that shot at prediction markets. Um, yeah, I, so I'm actually, I've been looking through. The, I don't think there's that many great prediction markets on this topic. Um, True. There is one on will uh, an Iran uh, oil facility get hit on poly market by the end of November. That's at 7%, so pretty negligible. You know, prediction markets aren't great at those like low low probability forecasts. So it's... Um, yeah, I think I think it is interesting how constrained everyone has been. You know, U.S. is not hitting back at all right now. Um, and on the other hand, you see these attacks on U.S. bases, but they don't seem not that they couldn't kill U.S. service members, um, but they're not. This is not Iran using all their power to try and hit U.S. bases. The U.S. has a lot of bases, you know, in eastern Syria um, and uh, the Kurdish parts of Iraq. Um, that the um, and as well as bases like throughout the Middle East and the Gulf states that Iran really could, if they want to, use their ballistic missiles to and kill U.S. service members. At I believe that uh, pretty strongly. Um, in 2022, actually, Iran hit um, a what is believed to be it's not confirmed an Israeli intelligence base in Kurdistan um, outside of Ibril, um, and they killed what is believed to be a bunch of um, a bunch of Israeli uh, assets there. 
Um, and you can see the pictures of that. You know, it was dozens and dozens of ballistic missiles breaking through, you know, what was a lot of reinforced concrete in this uh, Israeli spy compound. Um, so currently they're just launching, you know, they'll launch like five or, or the proxies will launch a couple of drone strikes um, and they get shot down. You know, I'm, I'm not ruling out that a U.S. service member gets killed. Um, and I that and that could definitely escalate things. I think it's also interesting for Trump. It seemed very much that a U.S. a U.S. service member getting killed was a red line, and he was going to respond very strongly if that was the case. We don't really know exactly what Biden's red lines are, um, so I think that'll be interesting to see. I mean, same question that I also asked Ezra. I mean, Ben. Sorry. Um, do you think closer to tensions, hotter tensions, closer to war with Iran now, or? Um, pre-COVID Trump? I think Biden just seems like a more constrained actor. Um, and I think that's, like, I, I could totally see Trump just kind of, he was pretty unpredictable. And I could have totally seen him saying, fuck it, we're going to escalate. And um, I just don't see that out of Biden. Uh, so I think further away. And do you think that constraintment, though, increases the likelihood of multiple fronts breaking out? Uh in an Israeli war with Gaza? Like, do you think that unpredictability, right, that comment that Kushner makes um, and other people too did actually constrain other actors on the world stage because they didn't know what he would do? Or, or we got lucky. Um, <laughs> we got lucky and those, those missile strikes didn't kill any U.S. servicemen, so then Trump was able to de-escalate. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, these are, like, all really hard questions. Um, I, so with, with Hezbollah, yeah, Ben, jump in. Oh, okay. So I was going to add, um, and kind of following up on what you said here, is that Biden is much more constrained. And about two days ago, uh, John Kirby, the spokesman for the National Security Council, uh, or he has a title like that, uh, what he said is that the U.S. will is trying not to respond due to the threat of escalation, uh, that they believe that uh, that if they respond, it could lead to more back and forth, and that's something they just don't want. Uh, but I do think that as more of this leaks into the press, as we get more casualty numbers, as more attacks become known in the press and not just rumors, it kind of does bind Biden's hands that eventually he will have to do something, even if they don't want to respond in order to not provoke, uh, you know, a tit for tat. So just adding that in. But go on about what you're saying about Hezbollah. Yeah, I mean, so the U.S. has pretty much said that, um, I mean, they, they kind of pledge support, right, to Israel if Hezbollah, you know, escalates in a major way. Um, so, like, I think it's a lot of, there's a lot of, like, how how much do people want to, the, the scary thing is I don't think really anyone really wants to escalate. Iran, Hezbollah, the U.S., uh, but I think each side knows that they have to do some minimum minimal amount of response. Uh, that, you know, they, Hezbollah set the red lines and Iran has kind of set the red lines in terms of Israel invading invading uh, Gaza with a ground invasion. So I think when when they invade, you're going to see it. You're definitely going to see attacks, more attacks on U.S. assets. And you're definitely going to see Hezbollah escalate with Israel. The question is, will those attacks cross some threshold where Biden then has to act in terms of whether that's U.S. service members killed, a number of U.S. service members getting killed, whether it you know, he gets a lot of political pressure. Um, I think that's, you know, and, and that's actually kind of, that can be random. Like, it's very much possible that, like, 
you know, Iran is actually trying to be somewhat constrained, but one of their missile attacks goes through and you see like 30 U.S. casualties and then the U.S. has to respond. Or you see a case where they actually they do try and get pretty aggressive, but there's no U.S. service members killed just by happenstance. And then everyone's able to back off. Right. So I think that's actually a really tricky thing to model. So, Andrew, let's get your thoughts on what's going on between U.S. and Iran. We've done a lot of stuff on Iran, mostly about the nuclear deal, but obviously you're quite passionate about that region of the world. How are you viewing what's going on? Probability on U.S.-Iran fighting, maybe not full-on war, you know, definitions of war, thousand battle deaths, whatever. Put that aside. How are you viewing things? Yeah, I mean, honestly, um, I would probably push back on what seems to be the consensus on the call and say that I think we're probably closer to war with Iran now than we were four years ago. Um, and I think the restraint shown by Biden is only a signal of that. Um, you know, I think bombing Soleimani was, you know, at a time where we weren't really concerned about the repercussions, you know, of what would happen, you know, bombing a very charismatic Quds leader um, in Iran. I think that said that we weren't very close to war and that we could do something like that without fear of escalation. I think if you look now, Iran's in a very different place. Iran has joined the SEO. They're closer to Saudi Arabia. They're on the way to joining BRICS. They um, likely have weapons-grade uranium now. I mean, these are all really big developments over the last, I mean, five years since we pulled out of the JCPOA. But even in the last 12 months, I mean, they've made great strides. I'm pretty nervous because it seems like Iran is trying to go the U.S. into a larger conflict. And, you know, there's been a lot of allusions back to World War One and this idea of, you know, if we get into war with Iran, well, who is Iran friends with? And does Russia get involved? And if Russia gets involved, does China have to get involved? And like this domino effect of um, of sort of parties in this conflict. But I think, you know, I mean, Iran in the last 12 months has gone to meet with like Nicaragua and Cuba and Venezuela. And, you know, this axis of resistance is like much bigger than we think. And there's a lot of countries that have been sanctioned by the U.S. that, you know, can be part of their grand strategy. I mean, Iran has, you know, Hezbollah agents in South America, I'm sure. And Nicaragua's, you know, one or two countries away from Mexico. Like this is coming up their southern border. I'm sure they already have assets in, in the United States. Like, I think the the stakes of conflict are a lot higher now than they were at the time. I think Iran's a lot more formidable than they were at the time. Um, you know, we've talked about the fact that Iran has hypersonic missiles, you know, and like military capabilities that they've worked on with Russia that, to my understanding, exceed ours in some areas. You know, like this isn't, you know, a country that we can think of as, you know, being primitive and, you know, we can just bomb them into the, you know, into hell. Like this is... It's it's a real formidable sort of adversary right now, I think. So I'm personally maybe a bit more concerned about um, where this conflict might go, because I think, you know, it's not just on the U.S. to decide how things proceed. I think Iran has a lot of agency here, unfortunately. Who wants that? Ben, look at you. Uh, yeah, so I don't think Iran's primitive. I just think that they... They don't have the capacity to actively contest U.S. seed capabilities. Um, and so essentially, you know, the U.S. is going to wild weasel it the entire way through until um, 
Uh, you look sorry. A wild weasel. Wild is... weasel thank you. <laughs> yeah. So a wild weasel is when uh, you send a fighter pilot in, um, and he has fighter pilots behind him, but he goes you know miles ahead, and his whole job is to goad air defense into shooting at him, uh, and then at which point you're the wild weasel because now they're all activating, they're getting ready to shoot missiles at you, and you have to dodge these missiles and also hope that your people behind you are good enough to hit these air defense where they can get off the second missile. And so, um, how does this relate to weasel behavior? Do weasels do this with like I don't, prey? I don't know. I just Predator? know it's called the wild weasel. Um, so, but uh, they're going to wild weasel it, and I think there's really no contest there. I think if the United States does a ground invasion, which they won't, but if they do, you're right. Iran will rock them, but I just don't think that's possible. I just don't think the United States would be dumb enough to go in for a ground invasion. That's something Biden seems pretty reprehensible, not reprehensive, uh, very hesitant to do. Um, same with Blinken. So I think, uh, yeah, but I think Ezra, we, you're we, unmuted. Yeah. I think, we, I think we did a big, uh, jump from like, you know, a seed operation would be pretty much, you're trying to take out all their air defense. So then you can do strategic bombing. Right. And that's pretty much, you're trying to destroy the regime at that point. Um, and I think there's a big space between the U S trying to topple the Iranian regime. Um, and pretty, you know, a lot of mass casualty events, in which, uh, you know, the U.S. and Iran are trading punches. And, you know, I think you can still back off at a certain point. Um, but, like, I don't, I think the probability that, you know, we're trying to, like, you know, take out Iranian air defenses and, like, topple the regime, pretty low. Um, but but if, if, like if, before, we, if, if we were to take out, like, their oil production and their means to get revenue, is that not an equivalent attack on, then, their air defense system? No, so the point what I was trying to make is that taking out the air defense is part would be part of a larger, um, a larger mission of strategic bombing, right? You don't like the U.S. can shoot a couple missiles and take out their their oil facilities without destroying their entire air defense network, which is um, which is what Ben was talking about, right? Um, so you'd only take out their entire air defense network. That would be a that would be a full scale war. Uh, but what I'm saying is if there's some weird tit for tat. The U.S. has a lot of a lot of forces in this area in in Iraq, Syria, even in like like we have massive bases in Qatar in um in the UAE, right? Um, and like those are all within range of Iranian missiles, right? So I would be more scared of uh, like a mass casualty event. Like I I think before we can jump is is within range of the hypersonic missiles. I mean, there's there's real stakes here. Where is Andrew? Sorry, I couldn't hear over Ezra. I said Tel Aviv. Um, I mean, but are these rush? Are these missiles actually hypersonic, or are they like Russian hypersonic missiles? They're not hypersonic. Well, they're hypersonic at the I end. Mean, all all ballistic missiles are hypersonic missiles, technically, right? Um, yeah. But in the terminal okay. phase, I mean, but then there's also. I don't think that I don't think that matters. I think um, what matters is is that Iran has a lot of like you know capable ballistic. Yeah, I think it's it's more about quantity. Than anything else, it's, so they have a shit ton of these, um, and that you like the whole the whole Patriot. I mean, there's a broader literature on this, but like the whole you know being able to shoot down missiles, Patriot. We have Thad, you know, uh, David Sling. All those things do not work a hundred percent of the time, and they can all be overwhelmed with mass, right? Um, and that like really like if you again, I talked about this last time, but if you look at Iraqi Scud attacks um, against Israel. Uh, dirt, um, 
you know, U.S. Patriot systems had a very low success rate. And, you know, that was for weird specific reasons. But um, but I just don't I don't really think that the whole shoot shooting down missiles is a viable strategy over the long term or if Iran decides to attack in, in mass. Um, and like, you know, you see the U.S. rushing rushing patriots and thad batteries into the Middle East to protect its assets. I think that I'm pretty skeptical of that I think that can that can make it that can limit the effects of an attack. But if Iran really decides they want to blow up the U.S. Uh, base in Qatar, they they can do that. And I think we should be pretty, you know, I, I think that that's my view on the situation. And I, I know, obviously, when we're talking about giving patriots to Ukraine, it came out that we don't have a ton of them, right? We're not like Russia, who is really big on sort of ground air defense systems. And so is there also a risk? I mean, not only that now these patriots can't be sent to Ukraine, but that if Iran wants to go after them and start taking them out, that's actually a quite significant hint to our, you know, strategic amount of air defense, uh, ground-based air defense systems. Ben? So I think, yeah, so I, I think I differ from Ezra on this, and then I think, I mean, sure, like the Patriot, the Patriot missile systems evolve quite a bit. You're right. But, I mean, Russia is launching 20, 30 cruise missile attacks at a time on Ukraine, and only one or two are getting through. I mean, that's quite a big success rate of that these Patriot missile systems are doing. But I do think, to a certain extent, I, I mean, you can't, obviously, it's not. I don't, I don't believe that. Like, they made it illegal to now, like, film their defense, it. so we don't, we, we don't know anymore. Back in January, right? Also, cruise well, missile, cruise fun. missiles are a lot easier to to shoot down. Then, if you look at the success rate of shooting down Iskanders in Ukraine, I think th- there's some people saying that they've shot down at most one Iskander, right? Um, I yeah. don't. Maybe it, it depends who you believe here. You know, I'm sure Andrew believes all the Russian propaganda, and I'm sure you know. I I tend to think patriots <laughs> are great, but um, but um, but no, I'm I'm really skeptical of the whole of the whole. I mean, it, it's just a numbers game. I think that's really what it is. Like, if, if Iran has, thou- like, 20,000, I don't know, they have a huge ballistic missile arsenal. And if they and really drones. want to concentrate that on a U.S. on a US base, you know, combining it with a drone attack, uh, they can do that. You saw how easy it was. You know, I mean, Houthis were able to, to strike Saudi oil facilities, which had Patriot and French air defenses, right? Um, and that was those were pr- pretty unsophisticated attacks. You're saying a full escalation of Iran's ballistic missile arsenal? I think that's not something that any air defense system can handle. Also, but again, we're not yeah. experts, so yeah, no, I, yeah, I would agree with you on that, though. I think. Um, go ahead. No, I just said we're not experts. Is my line? I think I said that last time. Oh yeah. To, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not military experts, so I I think we yeah. can. You can look at the available evidence, and I think it's actually pretty clear on on some points. But um, I think we can maybe transition a bit more to... I mean, you know. so speaking of escalation, though, right? Like, I mean, Ezra, you don't think that we'll, you know, strike uh, oil Iranian uh, facilities. But let's say, you know, things start to escalate. We're only talking about U.S. and Iran. Um, Colonel Douglas McGregor, I think is his name. Uh, He did an interview with Tucker, and it should be noted that he worked in the Trump administration. You should view his comments as part of the campaign, but... He, he is a colonel, quite well qualified. Um, and there's two comments I want to get to in the interview. The first is about, the second is about Israel, Hamas, Palestine. So we'll get to that later. Uh, but he makes a comment that like, if we really go after Iran, that Russia is just not going to sit by and let that happen, that they would then get involved in the conflict as, as well. And so 
do you think that's a, a possibility? And then also, like, what, I mean, like, because then U.S. carriers are at risk. Russia has even more technology than Iran has. Ben, I'm guessing you're going to say no. Because Russia what is, the hell is a, Russia insanely... They can't even fight one war. How are they going to fight oh two? Oh, my God. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Ezra, can I, can I get a better yeah, answer? Yeah, I, I agree. I, why are we scared of Russia? I mean, they're going to transfer weapons? Isn't... is I mean, Russia's buying weapons. Maybe there's some, like, you know, high-end anti-ship missiles they could give Iran, which we'd be scared of eventually. But yeah. that, that would take a while. And that, that wouldn't be that wouldn't happen immediately in, like, the time of escalation, right? Why? Because we I don't, because we don't we, escalate like that? Who's to say that they wouldn't? I mean, like, I, I don't think Russia, like, just diplomatically, they're not going to just give them... Uh, they're just not going to give them missiles in, like, a day. I mean, like... If, if there's this level of escalation, this is happening over a matter of hours, days, a week. I don't think you see Russian support making a me meaningful difference in the first 72 hours of a conflict. After that? Like, it's a long, it's a long term problem, perhaps. But I don't, th I don't think that I don't think Russian assistance would happen within like the critical time of escalation. So if it doesn't come in the first 72 hours, it wouldn't matter if they then supported them. Like, I don't that doesn't. Most I mean, of most most of the aid to Ukraine didn't come within the first seventy two hours. I mean, I guess it depends what we're talking about. Again, my frame of reference is that talking about like giving them technology to hurt our forces in a way that Iran currently cannot do. If we were to take steps to destroy the Iranian economy or do other things of that significance. Again, I think we should take a step back and focus on more lower levels of escalation and see how they would get to that like full-scale war scenario. And let's just be clear also, this wouldn't be the start of collaboration, right? Like Russia already builds Iranian satellites that have been put into orbit that are reconnaissance satellites. Like Russia, I'm sure, helped them build these new hypersonic missiles that apparently are going to be much easier to breach the Iron Dome defense system. Like I think collaboration between Iran and Russia has been at a fairly high level for a while now. And I think seeing them join the SCO and BRICS is only going to increase that. Um, so I don't know. I And I think Russia has a lot to benefit from this. I mean, Iran opened up a, a post in Syria where, you know, Russia obviously has a lot of influence um, this past summer to do some recruiting. You know, like I think they work together. Like I'm sure that they weren't blindsided by this attack on Israel, honestly. Um Russia to be on like to be clear. So I I don't know. I I think Russian assistance could play a slightly bigger role than than we're letting on. Sorry, I didn't mean like to. They don't my seem hand. to be stressed would, in Ukraine is my point. <laughs> I guess my thing is Thank you. Iran is aiding Russia right now. Like Iran's the one who's selling Russia weapons, right? So like I don't. How can Russia possibly help Iran? Are you going to give them their missiles back? I think the thing is, and I think to second on Ezra's thing here is that um, he's right. The, it's not that the aid won't come in the first seventy-two hours. It's that escalation between the U.S. and Iran is not going to be like a full-scale war. It's going to be striking targets back and forth until someone stops. Um, and that is what it will be. It, it won't be. You're not going to see boots on the ground. You're not going to see the Ayatollah overthrown. Uh, you're just going to see. More and more bombing until someone stops. That's what happened in 2019. Um, I mean, you know, so I mean, you did just so. say like, right? Iran sends them missiles, so what are they going to do? Send them back? But I think it's important to know like what kind of missiles are even like being used, right? Ukraine doesn't have a navy, so anything 
designed against anti-ships, I would assume, aren't really being used in this conflict that Russia has that then could be used against, you know, U.S. carriers to either just deter them to be further away to make them less effective in the region, or if it keep, or, which would have impacts on the conflict, right? If, if carriers had to be closer to Italy than, you know, right on the coast of Israel, that matters. Um, and then if it kept escalating to going back to my fears last week, sink one of my beautiful aircraft carriers that I don't want to see happen. Um, and so like, yeah, they're getting Iranian missiles, but they're not getting anti-ship ones because Ukraine doesn't have a Navy. We have a Navy. Russia has missiles to target ships. I mean, trade those US for more for more land sets and drones. Carrier, US we have three need carriers. To use a carrier strike Iran. Okay, but we right, have but three we carriers have carrier. in the region. Yeah, but we don't need to use the carriers to strike Iran. Like we have plenty we, of bases. We have a drone base in Pakistan. Several in Pakistan. Are we going to leave all of our ships in Israel? Because then the F thirty five doesn't have that far of a range anyway. If you look at U S. basing, one of our we have bases in Qatar, UAE, in the UAE. I yeah, mean, but the best place to could... put our ships, if there's going to be a barrage of missiles, is not going to be on a static place. It would be on carriers, unless we're okay losing our planes, too, while they're on the ground, which maybe we are. But, like, I don't know. that. Again, I think we should refocus this to, like, low. what does lower levels of escalation look like? Like, I think you're, like, you know, like, hypothetical huge war... Does Iran get like slightly better anti-ship missiles? Like I don't know. That seems just like such a superfluous point to like where we're at right now. I mean, would it really be like no. that much of escalation given what we've been giving Ukraine for Russia to give? I just don't Iran know the matter. First of all, Iran has anti-ship missiles right now. Um, so you have to ask what is the what is the technology gap between Russian and Iranian anti-ship missiles? Again, we're not experts, but I'm not no. necessarily assuming that's so large that it would make a big difference. Um, and I'm also, um, yeah, I also just think this is not, like, the high, this isn't a very, like, this is, like, a small point on a tail scenario is kind of how I view this. Okay. Like, I, I think we should be... It's the most likely scenario than Ezra. Like... What Ben said. You don't like, see, I, the, like, big conflict, you know, escalating. I mean, I, I think it's U.S. troops in, in Syria and Iraq get killed in pretty large numbers. And then we go after... Um, you know, proxies in Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq pretty aggressively. I think that's what it looks like. How many troops do we even I think, have? I think our army is 450,000 at this point, right? And then how many of them are currently in Eastern Europe? Like, how many ground troops can we spend? I mean, this is going to be relevant when we go back to, to the Israel-Palestine conflict about sort of army readiness and how they sort of atrophied. And there's been a lot of writing about... I think US. I think it would be it would be air, it would be airstrikes. I don't I don't know if you'll get into it's possible that we get into direct military conflict. But the troop the troops in Syria and Iraq are mostly there to protect our Kurdish allies and prevent kind of uh, Russia, Turkey, everyone from going after them. Um, and and the, you know they're they're the remnant of the anti ISIS fight is what they are. Um, so they're they're not we're not set up to fight a ground war against Iranian assets in Iraq and Syria. We do that through air power. Could so we not, even? Can, do you think? Could we even what? You know, if, if if we wanted to muster a ground army, do you think the U.S. military could, yeah. to for Iran right now? Do you think we could? To to I mean, and be we successful. To, mass, to fight, Ben, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to raise my hand again. Um, no, I, I the Pentagon ran a simulation on this uh, in two thousand six, I believe. Ooh, that's a long um, time ago. 
Well, we're not know, the same military. The United States is going through their psychopath period, where they were acting like a hegemon, or they're acting like an empire, a European empire, um, and they had this idea of going to war with Iran on top of Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, we were wild. They ran the simulation. It would. It was yeah, really crazy period in U.S. history. Uh, but they ran the simulation and they found that there would be more Americans killed on the first day than on D-Day. So that's I mean it's brutal. The U.S. would get. It would be extremely bloody. And you also keep in mind, the U.S. public isn't really supportive of bloody wars. We like wars that we win. But the minute we start losing, we don't really support them because no war we ever fight is really a war of existence. It's like we can just go home, you know, uh, which is why the public turned against Vietnam. It's why the public turned against the Iraq war. Ultimately, it's why people turn against the Iran war. So, no, there's not a chance of a ground invasion. They would it'd be a very bad, bad idea. I think that's so, why Iran's doing what they're doing, because there's this image of the United States as sort of a paper tiger where, like, we have all these capabilities and we talk a lot. But, you know, in terms of our actual ability to, like, stomach a long sort of attrition war, it, it doesn't seem like we have it. Um, so I think that, one, they're using that um, sort of or at least they're they're sort of acting with that in mind. And then I think also an important calculus to at least think about is, okay, so let's say Ezra's right and, you know, the airstrikes are, you know, constrained to the proxies, to Hezbollah, to Hamas. Um, you know, when we think about constraints, are those groups that Iran can stand to lose or stand to have significantly damaged? And I think that's a very important question because if the answer is no, then all these conversations about further escalation become much more sort of prominent um, and to the fore. And I don't know the answer to that question myself, but I'm leaning towards Iran for its own security and for its own leverage in the region cannot stand to lose these groups. Um, and so I think if we go and hammer Hezbollah or Hamas, I think that is going to necessitate response from Iran in a way that could see this spread into a larger conflict. Um, I don't like I think that like this idea that these are non-state actors and that they're separate from the state actors and that we can just focus here and it won't affect other things. I think that's a very it's very exemplary of how like U.S. foreign policy is just, I think, a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to like understanding the current international landscape. Um, so I'm very concerned that. But and, but Andrew, why, why does Iran want to escalate like they could have escalated at any point over like, the past couple of years? I, I mean, the U.S. military is stretched thin as well right now. I'm saying that they might be forced into escalation if we think that we are going to, you know, completely dismantle Hezbollah and Hamas. Like, these are extensions, arms of the Iranian government. You know, they provide them influence in Lebanon and Syria. Like, Of course, of know. course. But if, if neither side, you know, I guess what we're talking about is like, uh, you know, like you have these tit for tat spirals where you have both sides are kind of trying to deter each other, but you end up just getting an escalation spiral is what you're talking about, even though neither side really wants a war, right? That's kind of your point. Right. I don't think the U.S. or Iran necessarily wants but war. But I, I think that's, I think proxies really do, like, like Iran can actually, like, they can watch a bunch of people in Hezbollah and their, like, Shia militias in Iraq get blown up, um, and that doesn't threaten their regime. I don't think that much. Um, so, like, I the, the idea that Iran would you know, escalate to the point of a major war because we killed a bunch of, you know, militias in like northern Syria or something doesn't ring true to me. Well, if you believe Peter, like, not even Hezbollah wants a war. 
which I assume yeah. no one in this group I mean, chat I, agrees with Peter Zion. What did what did Peter Zion say? Oh, talking about a multi-front war breaking out in Israel, he said, like, it's not going to happen, super low probability, and even, like, Hezbollah. Some elements obviously do want it, but other parts of the organization don't want it, and they're obviously constrained by the national government. Peter well. talks about Iran and also, like, the Mississippi River. Like, I don't think he has expertise <laughs> in all these areas. Like, he's just talking. Like, come on. You know, I'm not, I don't take his... I thought we're not experts either. It's fine. Yeah, no, take us really not expert. All right. I love Peter because he just goes off into the Colorado mountain and then spews some stuff. And he's like, hey, y'all, back again here. And he's like filming himself here. And winds, he just says, winds just have. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible audio. <laughs> Sometimes you can't hear him. Um, but he just goes out there. I think his wife kicks him out of the house because I think he just sits there and rambles. So he sometimes, sometimes uh, she is filming and you can definitely tell because Peter is funnier in those videos or more cringy if you don't like him, which I assume is what Andrew would say. Um, I think we've talked enough like about US-Iran. Let's move over for a little bit for a subject that everyone loves, which is what's going on between Israel, Hamas, and Palestine. Um, sort of Netanyahu gave a speech yesterday, which would have been Wednesday. Has anyone here listened to it? Uh, I know the points of that and then listen to it. Okay, Ezra, you've listened to it. Uh, So I'll I'll go to you for a summary of that. Um, I think, you know, there's more. I mean, Ben was talking about, I think it was in Politico, saying that um, the Biden administration asked Israel to hold off on its ground evasion until air defense assets were in the region, which have been arriving, meaning a ground offensive is coming soon, whether it's going to be the end of the month, which is the poly market market we looked at last week, I think is sort of irrelevant. There's five days. Could happen, could not happen. Um, so there's that. And then did anyone in the group chat read the article that I sent to everyone, um, which was about a IDF general who sort of gave a prediction on the massacre that would happen. Um, it'll be in the show notes. It's actually... Um, I'll I'll read a few quotes. The likelihood of this happening is very high. Hamas will conquer settlements, throw grenades into bunkers and shelters, and cause a massacre. Um, I think what was also important in this one, which is why I brought it up, uh, which sort of tied back into the Tucker interview with Douglas McGregor, is about the state of the Israeli ground forces. Um, Quote, the current situation, this is back in May of this year, so before all of this, the current situation of the land forces is tragic. They are not ready for war. Emergency supplies are not available. Exercises have stopped, and the battalions have not trained in years. There's also no weapons training and education, and the army is not capable of carrying out an attack. Later, he goes on to mention that the U.S., uh, that the Israeli military and my sort of comment would be probably also the U.S. military is heavily reliant on its air force and high uh, technology. And what was also interesting is that apparently orders are given out via WhatsApp messages, which would partially explain um, the difficulties in the IDF for responding on the 10-7 attack, given that Hamas took out the cellular towers. So Ezra, why don't you give a little bit of what Netanyahu talked about at his speech, and then just whoever wants to hop in in terms of how you're viewing the situation and what you make of this week's news. Yeah, I think in all these things, whether this interview with this retired colonel or uh, with Netanyahu speech, we can go on that. I think you really have to see these as signaling to specific audiences. 
with Netanyahu, he's really speaking to the domestic Israeli audience. He's under huge pressure right now to start an invasion because the Israeli public is irate and also blames him. So the speech was kind of a mix of saying, he was trying to give him space to say, we're going to invade, don't worry, because um, he's, he's under a lot of political pressure, but we just need to, we're taking our time. It was kind of a nothing burger of a speech where he was just trying to like kind of quell the demands of, of Israeli citizens. Um, and then he kind of went off and said, he quoted like Isaiah, like our enemy, you know, you know, Armageddon, our enemies will die in fire shit type. I think that's what Isaiah 11 is. Um, so I, I would really, I, there wasn't a lot of news in it. I would say it was really about placating the Israeli public who are incredibly upset with him. He also addressed the fact that he said everyone will answer for this, but not until after the war. So I think he, what it really is, is he feels threatened by his position uh, within Israeli politics, and he's trying to reassure the public. I don't think there's a lot of news there. He's, he did confirm we will they will invade. I think we all knew they were going to invade eventually. Um, okay, so then let's, so I, l- let's go talk then about invasion. So I, I said that IDF former general talking about the state of the ground forces. Um, so how do we think a ground invasion might go, given what he says, whether or not you discount it. Remember, it was made in May, so it, it, it would still obviously be political signaling, giving everything so, Israel fine. But then there's also another one. Peter Zion actually just did a podcast. Um, and one of the things he talked about, obviously, 10-7 was a massive intelligence failure. Um, and one of the things you're seeing as a result of that is Israel just doesn't know where Hamas is. That's why you're seeing the massive air campaign as it is right now, which then means if they do do a ground invasion, they're not like going to point A, B, and C. They're going to have to basically clear out the entire northern part of Gaza, or if they do the entire Gaza Strip, then that. And so that, no matter whose military is is going to do that, is going to be insanely costly. So uh, with that sort of table dressing, ban your hands raised, so you got to steal it from Ezra. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, so I think Israel will benefit from taking U.S. and French advice and not invading Gaza. I know that they have to, but I think they would benefit from not doing so. This is going to be, it's going to be Fallujah every day times 30. It's, they're going to have rules of engagement. They have to go through every single apartment. And while they're walking in the streets, I mean, these buildings are what, four or five stories tall? A three, even if they're three stories tall, and inside every window, there'll be Hamas insurgent. But also, if you go through an apartment complex, it's the first one you go into. You fight room to room, right? Then you go into the next one, and there's no one in there. And there's just women and children. And it, eventually, it's psychological warfare. You start seeing soldiers crack. You start seeing women and children, innocents, getting killed. But we're not insurgents. Uh, this is just, it's the hell scenario for a soldier, right? Uh, it's mm. a nightmare. And so it, this is not going to end well. I do agree with President Obama and his assertion that they will create more insurgents um, by doing a ground invasion. Uh, it's just like, what is the end goal here? They don't have the force the United States has uh, in either Battle of Fallujah. I mean, they had to, I mean, what, it took them six days to clear Fallujah and they had, what, 20,000 soldiers doing it? Uh, they're going in 300,000 against what one could assume is 200,000 Hamas. How many do they have? Maybe 20,000? Regardless, this is going to be, yeah, uh, this is, and keep my people in Fallujah, civilians are able to clear out. They aren't in Palestine or Gaza. So it's, this is just a nightmare that you're going to see, and it's going to be great propaganda for uh, Palestine 
in the West because you're going to have all these stories of Israeli soldiers walking into someone's home and killing their kids and wife uh, because these, and I don't want to be empathetic to IDF soldiers who would be killing civilians, but at a certain point, you know, you go through three apartments, you fight to the core and you go into the next one and some kid or woman runs across the floor. That's usually how these uh, civilian casualties happen in urban warfare. Um, they get startled. They're, they aren't as sharp as they used to be. Uh, so, um, not to mention the fact like that they're gonna probably going to have to confront child soldiers as well. And Lord, that just sounds awful. Like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And let, I, I can't speak scenario, to how. Yeah. Like just best case scenario. Let's say that they are able to somehow in this fantasy world and Netanyahu's living in eradicate all of Hamas from the Gaza Strip. What's the plan then? Like, why do we think that all of a sudden that eradicating yeah, Hamas right. is going to be like, the answer to all of Israel's problems. Like now you have a lawless strip of really angry Palestinians, you know, with poor infrastructure and even more of a power vacuum for like non-state actors or terrorism to sprout up. Like this seems like just an absolute blunder, foreign policy blunder to do a ground invasion into Gaza, because as Ben said, the task is really hard. And two, the task might not even be what we should be trying to achieve right now. Um, I do, and that's not to say that I don't think Hamas is like an existential threat to Israel that needs to be dealt with. I just think that we have enough evidence that shows ground invasions, bombing, airstrikes don't get rid of terrorism. That's just not how terrorism. I mean, is ISIS that? kind of got wiped out. No, I mean, there's not many Nazis left in Germany either. I mean, you know, the idea that you can't I think kill ISIS an idea still exists. Uh, yeah, you can't. Yeah, but you know, we tried for twenty years in Afghanistan and Taliban. Like these things persist. You know, and the Taliban is not. This ISIS. is one of my actually hot takes. Is that uh, I, you know, I'm obviously against like the Iraq War and stuff, but um, like U.S. Uh, like anti Al Qaeda counterterrorism strategy did kind of work. Uh, like what Clay, Clay? I think Clay was being a little silly, bringing Nazis into this. Uh, but the U.S. is not threatened by Al Qaeda attacks the same way it used to be. Um, and that's because they all are too scared and they pretty much don't communicate. They live in caves or, or they're like Somalia. Right. Um, and they can't coordinate because they're too scared to leave. Um, now that I don't know how to, you know, like the idea that you can't kill enough terrorists cause you're going to create more cause you know, their cousins and nieces are going to see it. I don't know. I, I think that's a very popular line. I actually don't know how true that is. Um, with, you know, it, it might be more true with in Hamas. I, I think Ben's right in saying that um <clears throat> that Gaza is really a nightmare scenario. I would say, though, that Israel is uniquely well-suited in terms of, you know, in terms of force design, uh, thinking about urban warfare. They have, you know, they really are the leaders. If you even like U.S. military goes to train in Israel to learn urban warfare tactics, they've developed special, you know, their Merkava tank, and the Neymar APC, um, and they have special uh, armored bulldozers. They've invested a lot of their military, um, you know, power into actually specifically fighting urban warfare, and they do a lot of training on this. So I would be, I, I think, I think the U.S. military is more prepared than the average Marine Corps is for fighting an urban battle. But so do you discount right what the it, former IDF general said then about the state of the Israeli ground forces? You just think... I, I, Nonsense. I think every every Western army relies too much on air power. And no, but not just that. Ground. Not not doing training exercises, giving out commands via WhatsApp, sending out orders via email, I, having them automatically be deleted. Not doing, you know, not being able to carry out attack in 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 his own words. That seems more than just 
standard issues that you might hear reported in the military um, that would rear its head in an invasion that might be a reason why Netanyahu's not moving in. I don't because take the, the comments of one ex-colonel who probably has no, general, some not political colonel. angle. Whatever. Yeah. I don't think that's How true. valid is it that they're doing orders via WhatsApp? That's some Russian stuff. That's There's no way... At least I mean, no you saw no. I mean, like their their whole sentry guns WhatsApp. were hooked up via the via the cell system. So when they took it down, that's why Israel couldn't respond. Like they're also like their order. Like you don't exactly. think the IDF? Um... <sighs> Clay, <laughs> is that confirmed? That uh, that's the. I mean, I I don't have a source right on me right now, but that's the last that I. That, I that's heard. one take. I I would I would refrain from. Like we can we can discuss Israeli command control failures later, but I just don't think we have the information on that. Like I wouldn't infer also from one like you know surprise attack where they failed to say that Israeli command control sucks. Like that just doesn't seem like. I mean, a, it did suck, and that didn't it take hours for you know a response to really get that's mounted, what I'm saying, or in the twenty four forty eight hours to get the. You can't infer from one failure during an ambush to say uh, that Israel but that's a pretty to, good like, case to right like you're saying but ignore it then and just what based thing was on 2006 or the or the 20th century like where are we basing this stat like where where where's the idf showed prowess in the last 20 years like i know there was critiques after in 2014 how the limited ground incursion went and in 2006 Gaza? yeah that there was whole I mean, lots of they, articles written about like how it went not great and how they need to do a whole bunch of reforms. Like the IDF did great in in you know the tw- mid late twentieth century, but where's the reputation now? Is it academic articles and the fact that they bought fancy technology or develop it? No. And I, also, I, I, and I and and then also, how does that fancy technology work against cheap drones that are now proliferating everywhere? Like I I, I don't I don't like. You say, and then you say, oh, well, the general doesn't say anything. But then, like, where's the evidence that, you know, when's the last six, six, like, where, where are you pointing to success to then back up that argument? I mean, I think you can look at the past wars in Gaza. You can say they didn't go great. Um, I mean, they, they did kill a lot of Hamas operatives with relatively low casualties. I mean, all I know is can that. I just in, add about Hamas. Go on. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, just going back quickly to this conversation around like U.S. capabilities and how we handled 2001 and going into, you know, the Gaza Strip, like at Al Qaeda started in like 1988, like in 2001, 2003, like this organization was like 15 years old. They were a lot smaller than Hamas. The people in Al Qaeda didn't like them. We had lots of help, you know, like it's just a very different experiment getting rid of or trying to combat and they still exist throughout all of that right all those things in our favor al-qaeda is still bumping around um i just don't believe that this in ground invasion is going to do even close to what israel's hoping um and i think that if it doesn't then things are only going to get worse which is just more more terrorist on the point and that I there's no plan to, though yeah. I th- was it in politico new york times that they are talking about what comes afterwards the idea that there's like no post plan i think last i read no is israeli occupation then giving it's it over to the un know. with the hope to then give it over to uh the palestinian authority I, so i don't know what the plan is but i can say this if i were the idf 
You can dislike the I plan, would but it's go not... about the. No, there's no. Yeah, I would. What's your plan, Ben? Go with the U.S. strength. I think if I was the if I was Benjamin Netanyahu and not Ben Wheeler, but Benjamin Netanyahu, I would probably take out the leaders in Qatar or Qatar, and uh, that would be my first go to. I know that's probably taboo to drone strike a Four Seasons hotel, but uh, I mean you can oh, send in operatives. I mean, this is, maybe, I don't know, it's up for debate, but uh, they, I mean, Mossad has done, I mean, they're, they were kidnapping Nazis for a while. Uh, what's to say they can't do this? I think that'd be in their best interest to take out Hamas's leaders, um, kind of the same way. I mean, the United States forced bin Laden into isolation, thus rendering Al-Qaeda pretty operationally enabled uh, by 2002. Um, so... I think that's what they have to do. They have to take out these leaders or make them go on the run. Because right now they're sitting in hotels making money and profiting off to the misery of Israelis and Palestinians. So you need to take them out. And I think I don't think Hamas crumbles, but I think it becomes a lot easier. You're looking grumpy, Ezra. There What's is, going uh, on? Oh, I'm, I'm just usually grumpy. Um, there is actually just a, <laughs> there is a lot of literature, actually, though, that uh, killing terrorist leaders actually makes groups more extreme. That, that's my only one counterpoint. Yeah, he killed Soleimani, uh, and then he got replaced with the guy that apparently organized all of this Hezbollah and Hamas stuff. Yeah, and there's also a question of, like, how much can you actually do? If, like, you know, strong institutions killing their leaders, you're not, are you really handicapping how strong they are? Um, I think what we did, you're right, I think there is a difference between, we, we were able to be pretty effective against Al-Qaeda, but maybe that's different with um, Hamas. I don't know, I'm actually just... Going back, I am much more not optimistic because it's going to be terrible. Um, but I'm I wouldn't underrate Israeli military will or ability. Uh, you know, I think you can say what Hamas's military I will mean, and ability. They certainly have will in this. No, of course. Um, ability, I don't know though. All right, we are coming up to the I end. Mean, Get 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 your last two sentences in, Ezra, because I just cut you off. No, 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 no. I'm All right. Good. Last topic, everyone. We're going to give it three to five minutes. Erdogan sends Sweden's NATO bill to parliament. Um, Andrew didn't think this would ever happen. Ben probably thought this would always happen. So, Ezra, what's your take? <laughs> I don't... Uh, you know, it, it is weird. I think... I mean, Turkey, if you read their other rhetoric, I mean, this is aside, but like with um, what they're saying about Israel, you have the ex-Turkish defense ministers saying they should put groups, troops on the ground in Gaza. Um, so I don't know how to think about Turkey. I think they're, it's really weird that they're in NATO, or, you know, their whole NATO relationship is weird. So that's this all This is multipolarity, folks. Oh, my God. No, 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 not this yet. Not yet. Stop, stop. Yeah, mute him. Kick him. <laughs> kick him from the call. Um, I did read some comment. I'm, I'm going to call it from a, an analyst, but it was just some dude on the internet. Um, but what he said is that, like, Erdogan, like, the whole time you think he's going to, like, stab you in the back. And then at the last minute, he follows up with this word with, like, a sly smile. Like, what? You thought I wasn't going to do it. And he argued from, you know got concessions as much as he could. I assume Biden stayed firm on the F-16s, and so we'll probably see the U.S. approve the Turkey order for uh, F-16s coming in soon. Um, ben, your thoughts on all this? Yeah, so I have 
So two things. Uh, Turkey is on everyone's side and no one's side all at the same time. Um, they I, quite literally, I mean, they play every side. First, they were on Israel's side. Then they're Hamas. Then they're back to Israel. Now they're back to Hamas. Uh, they, yeah. you know, they play everyone against each other to get the best possible result, uh, which is why they are a bigger pain in the ass than the French could ever aspire to be. Um, secondly, as for the Sweden thing, uh, I don't think the F-16 decision is up to the Senate, and uh, the, currently the person who is in the way of it, Bob Menendez, is now on federal charges for being a foreign agent for Egypt, and he was the main person blocking it. Um, and as far as I know, he hasn't resigned, so I don't know if he'll still block it or not. I don't know what will happen there, but I know initially the Senate was not on board the purchase, even if they approved a Sweden NATO membership. We'll have to see with that because Biden doesn't have unilateral authority on that. Andrew, before I give this to you, I will let you play us out to your rant of multipolarity. Um, I'll just let everyone know that the next episode, I think we're hopefully going to talk about Avdivka, some updates on Russia-Ukraine. I would actually like to talk about some of the peace proposals that some of the uh, U.S. presidential candidates have talked about and whether or not we think that they are feasible, um, because I think there's an interesting conversation in there. And for the last bit of this episode, Andrew, have the floor. Listen, this is like a podcast in and of itself, so I'm not going to go too far, but all I'm going to say is that my belief, and it has been for a while now, is that we live in very much a multipolar world. I think Biden's been using a very bipolar Cold War era playbook. And I think that's led to countries like Turkey, Saudi Arabia, um, you know, these quote unquote middle powers being able to really fleece the U.S. for a lot. Um, because when you sort of frame things as, you know, there's two main powers and you have to pick one or the other, then, you know, and there's no real alternative, then, you know, Saudi Arabia can raise the price a bunch because they know how high demand is, you know. And I think the fact that we're even considering, you know, giving Saudi Arabia civilian nuclear, you know, power is like ridiculous, but it's only because we're using this playbook of like, we can't let them go to China. So we need to give them whatever we can so that they stay on our side. And the truth is that won't even do it because they're middle, like they're going to do what Turkey does, what India does, like they're going to, you know, abide by foreign policy that acts in their best interest. And, you know, for Turkey, Rex. that's letting Sweden in, but also, you know, saying that Hamas is not a terrorist organization and canceling a trip to Israel because they're going to do what they want. So, and yeah, BRICS is growing, SEO is growing. So, I don't know. I think if we have outro music, it definitely started at some point during this just to like no. sell the bit. I don't know at what point. I, I might just play the denial, all in music. We'll no, just because it's like, it's like, it's like you're like love because child. You've you just... denied it, Clay, for so long. Your fake news, your fake news. No, no, no. No. All right.